Well, thank you, Craig. And hello, everyone. You know, it really is lovely to be here. And thanks, band, for, for keeping the, the music alive. That was excellent. As Craig mentioned, I've, I've come up from Christchurch. I had a wonderful time uh, here yesterday talking around uh, emotions and just really being able to mess with people. I mean, this is, this is part of God's call on my life, is to just mess with people's heads and hopefully to leave them sort of better off at the end than, than what they had before. And I've got to say that something that I am and that I do that's just part of the way God has wired me is I'm a study of, of human beings, of why they are the way they are, of what they do, of their motivations, their tendencies. And, and what I've realized or what I uh, have observed is that Craig and Trinity are amazing people. Uh, you guys, as far as I'm aware, I don't know if you feel this, I think you're absolutely blessed to have them leading you. Because as I hear their heart, I hear their passions, I, I see their humanity, but I see their, the way that God has wired them and gifted them and skilled them. I just see that as such life-giving to a body. So I think... Uh, whether you're aware of that or not, I don't know, everyone might just be here going, no, this is just what we have to put up with every week. Is that right? <laughs> I, I think that you're, you're absolutely blessed. Because as Craig mentioned, uh, I, my name's Richard, I head up an organization called Strength to Strength, which, which is in many ways, it's a counseling and training organization. I mean, that's our face, that's what we do, but our heartbeat, our passion, is that we want to empower the local church to thrive so that she can get on and change the world. We want to empower her leaders, her pastoral care workers, her people, so that the body can be healthier, it can thrive, so that we can take churches and move them from simply being somewhat healthy to being thriving churches in God's hands, so that the impact the church can have in our world and our culture can be far greater than perhaps it currently is being. So I lead a team of people, we counsel, we coach, we supervise, we run different training events. We're mainly based down in Christchurch. We've got a branch in Wellington. The next step is, is hopefully to set up a place here in Auckland as we cover some of these major cities because we want to provide a trusted network to churches so where we can help them to become healthier than they currently are and support them in all that they're trying to do and be. And so that's what I do, and that's what I'm called to, and I absolutely love this. Now, now as far as today goes, with, with what I want to share with you, in many ways, I want to talk to you a little bit about this area of renewing our minds, of what the Bible talks to us about. I want us to have a look at what does it mean to actually grow healthy minds and healthy mindsets. I mean, you'd have to be living under a rock if you hadn't heard about all of the, the sort of mental health crisis that we seem to be experiencing within our society. And so how do we, as Christians, how do we within a church, how do we keep good mental, emotional health? What does the Bible tell us about how we tech and what's good for us? So that's what I'm going to look at with you today. Does that sound okay? Yeah, it does to the front row. I've got no one else with me at the moment. Yeah. This just isn't looking good. But you see, in many ways, in order to, to get into this area, what I feel like I need to share with you to start with, what I feel like I need to reveal to you, is that, you see, for me, I have not always been 
the paragon of mental and emotional health that you see before you. No, no, it's true. You see, I'm a white middle-class guy, and when I came to faith, I became a white middle-class Christian guy. So it goes without saying, I had no problems. <laughs> and, and I belonged to a white middle-class church, and we all got together, and we were all in agreement that we didn't have any problems. You know, not real problems, because problems are what other people have. So you can imagine that when the spotlight of mental and emotional health did a kind of reality check in my life, <laughs> yeah, I was in for a bit of a rude awakening. When I realized that I cannot blame other people for how I'm feeling, <laughs> yeah, these were happy times. When I realized that the things that I was struggling with, that I found difficult that, to cope with, wasn't so much about what was going on outside of me, but had more to do with what was going on inside of me, yeah, it was just more fun, really. And so in this, as I started to work on my stuff, as I started to wrestle with this stuff, at one point I went, hold on, Lord, how come I hadn't noticed this before? I mean... It's not hard to see the issues that I'm struggling with. It's not hard to see what's wrong with Richard. But, but why had I not seen this before? And I felt like God said to me at a later date, he said, well, Richard, let me put it to you like this. If you are an addict in a world of addicts, how do you know you've got a problem? Do you hear that? And in that, as I was working with this, I was wrestling with the, the other question I had for him. I said, Lord, well, why haven't I been changed? Why haven't I been fully transformed? I mean, I've come to faith. I love Jesus. I worship him. I read my scriptures. I do all the things I'm supposed to do. So why haven't I been fully changed before now? Now, now don't get me wrong. When I came to faith, God started to work powerfully in my life. And I felt like, in fact, at the time that the Holy Spirit took me through his own kind of discipleship program, as the Holy Spirit would come to sort of the different rooms of my being, and it's like he would come to me and open up one of the doors and say, Richard, shall we have a look at what's in this room? To which I would say to him, let's not. You know, and, and I also realized and discovered at that time that, you know, for the, about the first 16 years of my life, I had struggled with, with depression. And when I came to faith, the depression began to lift somewhat, but I still had some strong bouts of depression. And what I also struggled with, what I also found was frustrating was I just realized how thin-skinned I was, how easily upset I was or offended or hurt I was by, by what other people would do or say or fail to do and say. And then when I discovered the speed at which you take offense is a key indicator of how mentally and emotionally unhealthy you are, <laughs> the joy just kept on coming. And then, as I've been wrestling with this, I remember looking up and looking around and realizing, it's not just me. There are so many people struggling in the same kinds of way that I am. I would see churches around me that really longed to love one another. They just didn't like each other. You know, I'd see people who, who wanted to resolve conflict well. Now, to be fair, we all know how to resolve conflict badly, don't we? 
And we can do that on a daily basis. But to resolve it well, well, that just takes a whole different skill set. You know, I would see people who would love the Lord with all their heart, but were struggling with different bouts of depression and anxiety. I would see people who were a part of the worship team, who were going home and and secretly self-harming. I would see people who love to lose themselves in worship on a Sunday, but go home and repeatedly yell at their kids and struggle to get their anger under control. I would see people who, who, who just were serving the Lord faithfully for years, but were still struggling with their different habits and addictions, with their comfort eating, with their pornography. And they're just caught up in all of this. And I remember praying and saying, Lord, just why is this? What's going on? And it felt like he said to me, Richard, one of the things that's going on is that we have forgotten where real transformation comes from. Now, you see, my friends, we know the scriptures, but what I've seen is we just haven't known how to apply them. And so this morning, in many ways, what I want to do is just take you through a a number of very familiar scriptures and passages with you. And have another look at them to, to, in many ways, try to crack them open and to see in what way we can take them and begin to apply them to our lives. You with me? So in this, you know, probably one of the most famous, one of the most common passages that we know is when Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, it's interesting, he didn't say that prayer ministry would set you free. And I love prayer ministry. I work in prayer ministry. I use prayer ministry. And I've seen God move powerfully in prayer ministry. I love this. And nor did he say that a tithing campaign would set you free. And I love that a whole lot less. And nor did he say that counseling would set you free. What he said would set you free is truth will set you free. So when you encounter truth, wherever you encounter truth, if it is the truth that you need, freedom comes. Whether you encounter that truth through what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in prayer ministry, whether you encounter that truth in a counseling session, whether you encounter that truth through the spiritual discipline of tithing, wherever you encounter that truth, if it is the truth, then freedom comes. But you see, that begs the question, What's the specific truth that you need that's going to bring you the greater freedom that you've been looking for? And this is why we read in Romans where Paul says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and not through the removal of our mind, as many Christians seem to think. That that in this, what we realize in this is that what goes on between our ears is actually critically important. That this world of who we are in our spiritual side and our mental emotional side, that these two worlds are in fact inextricably connected. But at times what can happen in the church is that we can try to separate these worlds out. So we can have the world of the mental and emotional on one side and we can separate out the spiritual world on the other side. And the spiritual world, the spiritual zone. I mean, we own this zone, don't we, people? This is our zone. This is the world of prayer, of Bible reading, of fasting, of laying on of hands, depending on your denomination. And we try to answer everything from that zone. 
And when we fail, when we can't quite help the person with their anxiety, their depression, with their marriage breaking down, or with their addictions, well, we jettison them over onto this other side of this world of psychology and counselors and therapists. And we look at it with a lot of suspicion as to what goes on over here. Now, to be fair, understandably so, because there's been a lot of wacky things by a lot of wacky people. And so when we send our people over into this world, we just hope that they'll come back slightly normal with their faith intact. But of course, as we see from what Scripture says, these two worlds are in fact inextricably connected. And when we separate them, we do so to our detriment. And so we need to bring them together. And this is why also that what will happen and it's not just in the church, it's outside the church as well, is that in this area, we can, we can think about mental well-being or emotional well-being as if it's an either-or, that either you're mentally and emotionally well, or you're mentally and emotionally ill, as if you're one or the other. And then we can be surprised when we notice that people who we thought were mentally and emotionally well have fallen off the cliff, and now, for some reason, they're mentally and emotionally unwell. And you see, that's because at times we, again, our language shuts us down. You see, if you were to ask me, Richard, are you physically well? Or are you sick? Do you need a doctor? You know, I can look at me and I can go, no, I'm, I'm, I'm well, thanks for asking. And we end the conversation. But if you were to ask me, Richard, are you physically fit? I'd go, well, yeah, somewhat. If you said to me, Richard, are you uh, physically fit? Are you operating at your peak physical ability? I'd be like, yeah, well, you know, as long as you don't look too closely, yeah, somewhat. If you said, Richard, are you operating at your peak physical ability? Do you have all the minerals, rest, nutrients, and exercise that you need to physically thrive in this world? <laughs> well, I'd say, you know, you know, as much as the next person, somewhat. And you see, so when we ask that kind of question, we open up a very different conversation. And equally, if we were to say to you, you know, in one sense, are you mentally and emotionally, relationally well, or are you sick? We'll all look at you and go, no, definitely, I'm mentally and emotionally sick. I mean, well. But if we were to ask, are you mentally, emotionally, relationally fit? You'd probably go, yeah, somewhat. If we said, are you operating at your peak mental, emotional, relational level so that you can handle all that God is calling you into and what God wants to do with you, you'll probably go, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, don't look too closely as much as the next person. Somewhat. You see, when we have that conversation, we open up a very different conversation. And that's because it's not that this area of our mind, our emotions, the way we interact with everyone, it's not like we're either healthy or we're unwell. It's a continuum, people. And you're all on the continuum somewhere. Yeah, my friends, you're all on the spectrum somewhere. I don't know if you've realized that. And you see, so when we look at our life and people ask you, how are you going? And you're examining what's going on in your life. If you can't name a place that still needs growth and health, that isn't because you're mentally, emotionally well. That's because you're in denial. That this is a blind spot for you. 
You see, a key indication of mental emotional well-being is the ability to name to the appropriate people where your growth edge is. And if we have churches where we are far more conscious of where our growth edge is, because then we discover that we are transformed through the renewing of our mind. It's an ongoing process that we need to work out. There's a, a verse in 2 Corinthians 3.17 that I love, and it's a seemingly innocent little verse. Although, to be fair, all Scripture seems to be innocent at first blush, but it's not until you take a closer look <laughs> that you realize some of the impact of it. And in it, it simply says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty, depending on your translation. Now, what that also means is wherever in your life you are not experiencing freedom, then guess what? The Holy Spirit isn't present there. Not to the degree that He wants to be. Now, why is that? Because He is the Spirit of truth. And so that when somewhere we unwittingly, unconsciously are holding on to a lie, we actually quench the work of the Spirit, and we give access to the one who's known as the Father of lies, and He comes to rob, kill, and destroy. So I'll meet with people who, deep down in the core of their being, they're holding on to a lie somewhere that says that the way they believe, I am a disappointment to God. So it doesn't matter how many times they hear about how much God loves them. That just washes off them. And they're left in a profound state of depression. With some people deep down in the core of their being where they believe a lie that says, actually, I'm only as good as I'm performing as people see that I'm succeeding. So I'm only as good as my last performance appraisal. For them, it doesn't matter how many times that they hear about the grace of God that washes off them, and they're left in a perpetual state of anxiety and being anxious around how they're performing and how they're doing. Or deep down, if a person is believing in the core of their being that there's something wrong with them, that they're faulty, that they're broken, that they're bad, then it doesn't matter how many times that they hear that they are God's child, that God has dreamed them up, that He wants them that all of that just washes off them, and they're left with these continual thoughts of self-hatred. So what I'll find is there'll be people at times who are crying out to God, longing for Him to change them, and it's like they're on one side of a locked door begging Him to come in, and He's on the other side of a locked door longing to come in and bring the change. And what the people don't realize is that the lock is on their side. That as they encounter the truth to the area of lie, they unlock the door and they allow the Holy Spirit to come in and bring His transforming power. They find the truth that really does set them free. And the Spirit brings His transformative power. And so that's the work that we need to do with our Holy Spirit in order to bring the change. You see, there's another passage that I want to take you to that in many ways gives us a few more how-tos in doing this. And, and I want to go to it and in many ways just camp around it for a few moments to, to sort of suck the marrow from, from what we're seeing here. And this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. 
And here we read that the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. So in this, there's actually so much that is so useful for us to actually keep our mental, our emotional state healthy. You know, one thing in this passage, just to start with, that in fact is so obvious that at times we can miss it. In this passage, tell me, who uses these, these divine weapons? Who uses them to demolish stronghold? We do. Now, do you see that? We do. We use the divine power to demolish the stronghold. Now, I don't know about you, but that is so frustrating. You know, I would much rather have it where I could go to bed one night and say, Lord, you know the issues in me. You can see the difficulties in what I'm struggling with, so I'm just going to go to sleep now. And so if you could fix all of that, that would be choice. Thanks so much. But that never seems to happen. Then what we find is that we have a God who does it with us. He does it through us in order to do it in us that this is a partnership where we are the ones who need to use His divine weapons to demolish these strongholds. And what I find so fascinating is this word stronghold, which carries with it this, this spiritual connotation of a foothold within us, enemy territory within us, which it is. It carries that. That word stronghold can also be translated house of thoughts. Isn't that interesting? I mean, what's a stronghold where we're getting bound up, where we're getting caught? This is a place where different thoughts have come together, have culminated. This is a place where we have got an entrenched mindset or mentality that is working against what God wants to do in us. And we are the ones who are asked to demolish these strongholds. Strongholds of addiction strongholds of certain mood disorders, strongholds of self-harm, strongholds of suicidal ideation, strongholds of comfort eating, strongholds of pornography, strongholds of gossiping, strongholds of insecurity, of pretending, of pleasing, of performing, all of these strongholds that need to be broken down. Because as we see it in the next part of the passage, how how do we do this? This house of thoughts, we do it as we demolish every argument, every pretension, every rationale, every logic, every belief system, everything that's setting itself up against the knowledge of God, everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of who our God is, everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of who our God says we are, everything that sets itself up about what God says is true. And we're asked to demolish these strongholds. Now, my friends, in many ways, in, in the same way that you are expected to clean your teeth a couple of times every day, but you're not expected to do your own root canal. There are things in the area of our mental and emotional well-being where we're expected to clean out and do a bit of brain brushing, but we're not supposed to do our own trauma root canal. You're going to need someone else to do that. 
But what we see in this passage is a number of steps of, of what we can do to keep our mental and emotional health well, to remove the plaque, the tartar, so to speak, from our thinking and our emotions. And I'm going to take you through these, these four key steps in this. And I made a lot of effort to make sure they all began with A. So I want you to be impressed with that, okay? So these four steps in, in what we see in the passage here, the first one is we've got to be aware. You know, if you're going to start to break demol uh, strongholds, demolish arguments, we've first of all got to be aware of what we're addressing. We've got to be aware of what is going on in my thinking and in my emotions. Because what I find is so many people run on autopilot. They just react like Craig was saying. They just react to life, to people. They just think their thoughts. They just feel their feelings. They just do what they do as if this is how I have to be. And they will say, well, you see, it's just my personality type. My friends, that's not your personality. That's your prison cell. And it's time to set you free from that. So we've got to start by getting aware of what am I thinking? And your brain is constantly talking and chattering. So you need to think and start to become aware of what am I telling myself as I leave here today? What am I telling myself as I head to work or to school or I lead, uh, go to a, a playgroup? What am I telling myself as I do the shopping or I do the chores? What am I telling myself as I'm watching movies? What am I telling myself as I'm with other people and those difficult people in your life as well? What's going on in my thinking here? And to become aware also of what am I feeling? Because what I'll find in the church, and this is something that I was talking about yesterday, is that I find that, that we can fall into a couple of pitfalls when it comes to our emotions. That what I find in one sort of pitfall that we'll fall into is some people like to indulge their emotions. They enjoy their emotions. These are the people who like to feel what they're feeling, and they sit with what they're feeling, and they'll talk to you about what they're feeling, and they'll post about what they're feeling, and they, they know that if you really cared about them and loved them, that you would sit and you would enjoy what they're feeling as well, so that we could all feel this together, so that our feelings could grow, whatever the feeling is, because as you feel with what I'm feeling, now I know that you love me. And you've got those who enjoy their feelings and indulge their feelings. But of course, down the other side of the pitfall that we can fall into, these are a different group of people, and these in many ways are the old-time Christian mindset who know that feelings lie. So you can't trust them. So, in fact, it's ungodly to feel. So anytime they encounter a feeling, they've built a wall where they'll jettison all their feelings over the wall so that they never have to feel it. They sort of anesthetize themselves to feeling anything. Yes, you could poke me, but I'm pretty much numb from the head down. But of course, what they don't realize is that denying your feelings is just a different version of indulging them. Because you're still getting driven by your emotions. It's just that you're unaware of it. So I'll say, you know, in the same way that you can have a broken ankle and we can jam you full of an anesthetic so you can walk on your ankle, it's still broken bone grinding on broken bone. And the same is with our emotions. It will still be driving you. It's just you're unaware of it. The place where we've got to start is just by being honest 
about what we're feeling. We're not going to indulge it. We're not going to deny it. We're going to be honest about it. Because this is God's zone. The Bible says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness. There's no darkness. There's no pretense. There's no faking. That in fact, when you are at your most honest, you're actually in a very sacred place. God meets you wherever you are when you come to Him in honesty. So the first thing that we need to do is we've got to start to become aware of what's actually going on inside of me. The second thing that we need to do is we need to be able to arrest these thoughts and these feelings that are unhelpful, hurtful, or harmful. We're told to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And this is specifically true also with what the psychologists refer to as ants. Automatic negative thoughts. You see, our brains can get so conditioned that we know how to respond to anything and everything, and it's always a negative response. Of course that happened to me. Of course they're treating me like that. No one's ever going to listen. No one's going to be on my side. Typical, you can't trust people. This always works against me. Whatever it may be, we will think negatively, and as humans, we have this tendency to believe that if it's negative, it's somehow more true when it's not. It's just the way your brain has been conditioned. I remember when my wife and I were living in the North Island, and probably like you have here, you you have ants, so you keep everything in the fridge. And I remember one day, my wife had made this absolutely gorgeous banana cake with chocolate icing and chocolate hail covering it. And we had a slice of it, and it was delicious. And as we sort of polished that off and thought, that was rather nice, and my wife looks at me and she goes, well... Should we have another piece? And I think, don't mind if I do. And so we get up to go back to the kitchen where the cake is. But of course, at this point, we see a trail of ants coming to the cake. And my friends, it's amazing how much chocolate hail and an ant look a lot, look, look a lot alike. Or if you've ever seen in a banana cake those threads of banana in a banana cake... And squished ants, they look a lot alike. So, I mean, is this chocolate hail? Is this an ant? Is this banana? Is this an ant? I don't know. So, in the end, we had to dump the whole cake. It was a grief. And and you see, in many ways, that's what goes on in our mind. We have these ants that come through and they scurry through your mind and your brain. And they rob you of the joy and the peace that God wants to give you, that He wants you to have, and they steal it all away. So this is why when we have these thoughts and we have these emotions that are working against us, we start by being honest about them, but the ones that aren't helpful, the ones that aren't in line with them, we take them captive, we interrupt them, we don't allow them to keep on going so that they stop plaguing us. And at times we take captive every thought, every ant, But other times, what we really need help with is to follow the ant back to the nest. And we attack the nest that was generating all of these ants. What the deep belief, the lies that's keeping our minds being robbed of what God wants for us. And the third thing that we do that we see the passage tells us about is we've got to answer these lies with truth, with His truth, in order that we begin to renew our mind, reset our mind 
to what is actually healthy and what is reality. But you see, my friends, what I discovered that what we've really got to do in this as we answer the truth, because as Christians and churches, we have a whole lot of answers, which is wonderful. We just need to make sure that these aren't just the right answer, that these are, in fact, a real answer. You see, a right answer will speak up here to your head, but a real answer will actually change your heart and your mind. And a real answer in many ways is a right answer. It's just a right answer that I can access and absorb and I can feel the impact of it. You see, I remember when I was struggling in my own life with my, the, where things were in my own mood and my emotions and someone said to me, Richard, what you need to understand is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, is that true? It so is. Did that help me? Not in the slightest. But as I sat with that and said, but what does that actually mean? And I cracked it open and I realized, what does this mean? This means that my God dreamed me up, thought about me before he, the world was created, that he's the one who wants me on this planet, that his fingerprints are all over me, that he desires me, wants me, needs me here. So I have worth, I have value before I say or do anything. Now that's, did that help? It so did. Something shifted. So in many ways, what's the difference between a real answer and a right answer? It's what Scripture tells us. We actually have to meditate on the Word. And so sometimes the difference between a real answer and a right answer is 10 minutes of meditation on His Word and what it means so that it begins to make an impact. You know, as I've worked with people who have experienced absolute atrocities. We don't want them just to have a right answer. We need them to find a real answer that's going to bring truth that will set them free. And with some people who have experienced sexual abuse, as we've worked with them and where they've got to, that for them, sometimes where they get to is a place where they realize, I realize now I was just as sexually pure after the event as I was before it because this was something that happened to me, but it wasn't something that happened with me. And for them, as that sinks in, there is a shift and a freedom comes. For others, they can recognize that and they can, they can know that that's helpful, but it doesn't, doesn't bring the change that they're needing. And so other people might write out their story, and as they're about to read it to me, one of the things I'll say to them is, before you share this with me, tell me, what are you understanding? What are you getting? from what you've just written. And they'll sit and realize, actually, I never wanted this. I never asked for this. This wasn't about me. Now, they've known that before up here, but as they've processed it, they've now brought a change here. Because you see, my friends, change happens in the slow. And we are such a culture that moves at fast pace, fast thinking, fast living. But change happens in the slow, that we actually have to engage with truth slowly. And the final thing here that we need to do is we've actually got to apply the truth. 
not just recognize it and absorb it, but we've actually got to now walk it out, make it obedient, which is a transformation process. So with what you know to be true, with what is changing in you, now that you know that to be the truth, as you hold on to it, what are you going to do differently? How are you going to live differently as a result? So you break the patterns of how you've been, and so that the truth is actually worked into you, walked into you as well. And so as we become aware, and we arrest, and we answer, and we apply, we start to bring some health and some transformation inside of us. As we recognize that, my friends, we're all on the continuum somewhere, we've got to know where our growth edge is, so that we can keep finding the lies renewing the mind and encountering truth that really does set us free. You with me? Can I get the worship team back up here? So my friends, what I want to do today, can, can we just stand together, please? You know, as I said, God meets us wherever we are when we come to Him in honesty. So just where you are, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to center on Him. If you haven't already this morning, just greet him. I want you to get yourself in a position where you are honest with him, where you are open with him. Just take a few moments there. And where you are right now, just ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to reveal to me? And listen to what he has to say. And my friends, when you examine your life, where are you not experiencing freedom? We know that our God is a God who loves us, who died for us, who wants nothing to hold us back in being who we have been created to be, in carrying His image, in living with Him and for Him. So my friends, if you notice somewhere in your life where, where God is revealing something, He's highlighting something, that He wants to work in, that He wants to journey with you, that He wants to strengthen you in that area, I want you to honor what He's doing. I want you to come find a place just up the front as you step into His presence and say, Lord, here I am.